Lance Canzano, I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Canzano's Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I've got a special guest in studio today. My dad, Tony Canzano, is in studio. We've had him on the show before. He's back because you demanded he come back. I'm going to fix your microphone so you're good to go. You're, you're a veteran. You've, done it. You've already done an hour of this. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you, Dad. All right, so, so let's go back to you in high school. For people who don't know, you, you played professional baseball. You were in the Mets organization for seven seasons. You got to AAA yeah, with the Tidewater Tides of the Mets organization. You later ended up in the Expos organization. But let's go back to high school. You're playing high school. You had, uh, you had teammates in high school. By the way, uh, was it Bob Barry who uh, went to high school with you in Willow Glen High School? Well, Bob Barry's father was the coach, and Bob Barry was a few years older than uh, than us, and uh, he went to the University of Oregon, then Minnesota, and played the NFL. Yeah, he was a, a big time quarterback at Oregon. Like you know, I, I remember seeing that name. And uh, but did you ever see him play, or was he one of those players that you looked up to? You kind of you were younger. Well, I was younger. Uh, we used to go to the games and hang around the sidelines. He was uh, he was special. He had a soft touch, and uh, so he was just very talented. So and then Barry, the coach Barry, had had the record in the United States forty two games, oh, yeah. one in a row. Yeah, so you guys had so. a they had a forty two game win streak when yeah. you were there. Uh, so you end up in high school. You have a scout for the for the Mets organization, Roy Partee was his name, and he ends up scouting you and, and signing you, but you were 17 years old in high school. How did that go over with your parents, my grandparents, as this, this guy's coming into the living room saying, hey, your son is good enough to play professional baseball, and you know, I know how much they valued education. Yeah, especially, uh, especially my mom. So they had... Um two things they were offering uh you could get a um, scholarship which was in those days 8000 bucks <laughs> four years of college right. <laughs> or uh you could take the money and of course my dad tried to get both <laughs> <laughs> why not you, you got to know him to appreciate it and uh they said no one or the other so uh, we took the money cuz i figured i could uh i could pay for college in those days yeah. as we went so that's what we did. How much money are we talking about? What is what's your signing bonus as a high school kid? What year are we talking about too? Um, sixty. <laughs> December of sixty four. Okay, nineteen sixty four. Is eight thousand bucks. Eight thousand dollar. That must have felt like a lot of money to a seventeen year old kid. Yeah, it's it a million dollars. You could buy a <laughs> really nice car for three thousand. Yeah. You know. And did you buy a car? Yeah, um, I bought a, a Sunbeam Tiger, for I think thirty five hundred. Had a Ford motor in it, V8, yeah, and a very hot car, so convertible, too. convertible. So you were making it at that point. You head off, you head off. Now, now people ask me because I'm born in the state of Oregon, like 
you you took another chunk of your signing bonus and you bought some land in Southern Oregon. Like, what prompted you to buy that land in Southern Oregon that made me a native Oregonian? My uh, my dad wanted me to buy a, a duplex or a triplex and rent it out, and then when he came back from the baseball season to go ahead and uh, live in it. And uh, I was uh, young and uh, uh, kind of dumb. And uh, <laughs> so I was afraid yeah. the tenants couldn't make the payment. And then I'd have to make the payment. And so I said, I didn't want to do that. So we ended up buying forest land near, uh, near Ashland. Yeah. And uh, it's on a BLM road, 120 acres. Uh, fir trees. I wanted to um, grow Christmas trees. Yeah. So uh, so we bought 2,000 seedlings. Yeah, wait, how does a 17-year-old kid from California go, hey, I need to be in the Christmas tree business? <laughs> well, I had a job during Christmas selling Christmas trees <laughs> at a lot. So I said, this is pretty good. Yeah. So uh, so we did that. We bought the tree. They were like two cents a piece. Yeah. So how many trees did you buy? A couple thousand. Okay. And uh, what do you like? What do you do with a couple thousand trees? Well, uh, you're supposed to plant them on the land. Yes. But we never got around to it. I planted them <laughs> in my sister's backyard. <laughs> so, <laughs> my, my sister would do anything for you, you know. Yeah. So anyway, uh, she finally sold the house with the seedlings in it. <laughs> so she had thousands of trees. Yeah. In the back of her house. Yeah. Oh man. So. Well, but you end up at Southern Oregon College uh, in. What is uh, now Southern Oregon University, but you end up there in in the winter. Was that between seasons, or how does that work? You're just it, taking some classes. It, no, it was between seasons. So um, I was trying to get some units. I was going to be a a teacher and a coach, trying to get some units. So uh, I had two kids, you and Amy. Yeah. So uh, in order to support you, I needed a job someday. So um, I went for that. But, did you yeah. not consider baseball a job at the time, or what did that feel like? Uh, it wasn't really a job. It was, um, you know, uh, some people think it's a lot of fun, you know, but it's hard work. It's hard work and uh, road trips and buses and airplanes. It, uh, it wasn't easy. Yeah. So, uh, so seven years worth of that is a lot, although I had uh, Curtis Brown. Yeah. Did it for 15 years yeah and got one game in the big leagues yeah let's talk about curtis brown for a second because he grows up in the sacramento area he's got i think two brothers that also played in professional baseball they were close with dusty baker uh but curtis brown where do you encounter curtis brown in the minor leagues um first year in greenville south carolina and in uh spring training so we're at second base, and Parti, the scout, was worried about me because I was very quiet, kind of shy. So he said, you're going to have to step up, and when these guys go to take grounders, you get in front of the guy. So I got in front of Curtis a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and later I had to apologize for him that I was told to do that. So anyway, so I saw him from the beginning. So we had Greenville. We had uh, that's Durham. single single A, yeah, and then Durham is double A. No, it's still single still, A. Okay, but a little higher league. And uh, was he in Memphis? Memphis and Tidewater. All right, so all the way through. All the way through. Now Curtis Brown, uh, as you mentioned, he plays 15 seasons. He gets he gets to the big leagues. He gets one game in the major leagues. 
and um, he got three plate appearances against, uh, I think it was Ron Bryant was pitching right. against him. I, I looked it up, and uh, he gets one opportunity, and that was it. You, you think about that, because I know when you're in the minor leagues, you want to get to the big leagues. Would that have been enough for you if you had gotten one game? No. <laughs> that would have been horrible. <laughs> Is that worse than not getting there in I, your mind? <laughs> I think so. Um, what was I going to say about Curtis in that game? Oh, so – when they send him down, he lasted a week. Yeah. When they sent him back to AAA, the AAA manager says, why'd they send you back? You're the best player I got. Yeah. And uh, Gene Mock was the manager at uh, the Expos back then. Yeah. And he said, uh, I got guys that could run faster and, and uh, throw better. So wow. he got rid of uh, Curtis. I got to get Curtis Brown on the show and talk about that one game in the big league. <laughs> Uh, you had great, you had great teammates. You had a, a lot of experiences. You were also um, in the minor leagues at a time when um, you know civil rights movement is going on. I want to talk about all of that. You were in Memphis when Martin Luther King was shot and killed. You, you were playing for the Memphis Blues at the time. I want to talk about all of that. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll come back with more. My dad is visiting. He is in studio. Leave it here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. My dad is visiting from California. Tony Canzano, former professional baseball player, minor league baseball player in the Mets organization, uh, fielding some questions on Twitter for you, Dad. Uh, I got a bunch of things I want to ask you. But John on Twitter wants to know, did the Mets World Series title in 1969 have an impact on your career, positively or negatively. And uh, you, you, were, you were teammates with a lot of those guys. How, does that, how did the minor league team react when the, when the Miracle Mets won it all? Well, they were all very proud because every classification in the minor leagues for the Mets won the pennant that year. The A-ball teams, the double-A, the triple-A, and the big leagues. Wow. Well, they had—they were so bad that they had, you know, the first picks for years. Uh -huh. So they were loaded. They were loaded, and then um, they had a a guy uh, playing. Uh, he was a utility player, Wayne Garrett. Okay. That I had played against in the Texas League, and uh, Wayne was a infielder, mediocre hitter. He uh, didn't run well. Uh, average hands. So uh, they picked him up from winter ball and brought him up to the big leagues. I was disappointed because mm. I thought I was a better player. But um, Charlie Lau was his uh, previous manager. Maybe Lau had something to do with his hitting that they liked. I, I, I don't know. So, yeah, so when they won the pennant, it kind of uh, sank the rest of us down hmm. because they didn't they felt they didn't have to make too many changes yeah but they had great pitching and that's what got them to the uh, world series and won the series independent in spring training you saw those guys and you were teammates with some of those guys like uh you know nolan ryan john matlack jerry kuzman tom Seaver. uh what comes to mind when when i mention those pitchers um nolan ryan hitting the guy in the back it was very painful to watch even. Um, what was it like to play shortstop or middle infield with Ryan pitching? 
uh, you're not going to get many ground balls. So uh, it was uh, kind of like uh, watch them either walk somebody or strike them out, <laughs> yeah. you know, like Little League almost. Yeah. So Kuzman had a uh, cut fastball, and he was a great guy. He was 24 in A-ball. He had gone in the Army and came back out. I played with him in Greenville. And then uh, the Mets sent him to double-A and then to the big leagues. So uh, he ended up a 21-game winner. Gary Gentry was from the minors. Uh, Seaver only hit against once in spring training. What was it like to face Tom Seaver? Uh, you know, I thought it was his fastball that I'd have to worry about, but he threw a slider where it didn't have any spin. Mm. It was uh, about as fast as a fastball, and it just slid over yeah. about six inches with no warning. Yeah. So I ended up popping out. I was glad to do that. <laughs> so you had uh, you 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 faced some guys that went and had great careers too as a as a hitter. Uh, Louis Tiant among them. Uh, tell us the story about Louis Tiant. You faced him, and is it spring training? No, it was. Uh, I think it was 69, regular season. Huh. Red Sox had sent him down for some reason. I don't know why. But, uh, you know, he used to have a wind-up where he'd turn his back to the hitter, which is pretty scary because you're thinking, <laughs> hey, I'm over here, you know. Yeah. Look where you're throwing. So, anyway, I decided I was going to hit a curveball because uh, I thought that was his best pitch. So, prior to the at-bat, you're on deck, you're thinking – I'm looking for a curveball. Yep. Okay. Let the fastball go by. All right. So uh, he throws the fastball about letter high and away, and I swung at it. <laughs> and asked me why. Yeah. And I hit it over the right field fence. You know, I waited on it good. Yeah. Maybe that was the key. <laughs> right. You and, stayed uh, back. So the next at bat, I hit a, I got a curveball. I hit a double to left center, and then next at bat, I hit another double. So I went three, four, a four against Tion that day, and the grandpa was in the stands. Yeah. So uh, that was pretty special. Yeah, he liked that because uh, one of the scouts that was in the stands, uh, grandpa was sitting behind him, and the scout said, uh, uh, "This guy, uh, good field, no hit." And uh, when he hit the home run, then the double, and then another double, the young scout looked at the old scout like, "What are you crazy? What do you know? You don't know anything, right?" <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, anyway. What was it about Tion that let you hit him, or is it just that kind of day? Well, you know what? Uh, Grandpa had a broken elbow. Yeah. And he used to throw me batting practice as a kid. Everything was sidearm. Mm. So I was used to sidearm. You could hit. That, you, knew what, to, you knew to hit him to right field. Yeah, and that's yeah. what Tion was, si sidearm. So I could see the ball real well. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I hit, I hit side armors real well. That's interesting. Um, the uh, the the minor leagues, you know, we always talk about bus rides and and how difficult it is. Uh, you're you're in the South. You're in Memphis. You're in Greenville, South Carolina, in the 1960s, and and you know you're in Tidewater. You're in Virginia. It, what it, what was it like? Just sort of the atmosphere of the country at that time. Hmm. Well, Memphis had uh, had a lot of problems. They uh, they had garbage strikes. Uh, they had a lot of protests after uh, Martin Luther King got shot, understandably, and uh, so uh, a lot of prejudice. The black players uh, had to live separately, 
couldn't live in our area. Um, same same deal with Greenville. Couldn't eat in restaurants. Couldn't live uh, where the other guys lived. And uh, guys like Curtis that came from uh, California, that was a uh, eye opener for him. Yeah. So he didn't ever seen anything like that. Yeah, and you're friends with those guys. How does that affect a team? Um, don't know. Um, they probably had some uh, reservations about that, but the team supported them pretty well. We walked out of one restaurant that wouldn't serve them. And, uh, I remember growing up hearing that story, that that was kind of something that you and Mom told us. You, that you guys had stopped. Was it a road trip? You stop at a diner, or where are you? Where are yeah, you guys? It was like downtown Lexington, yeah, North Carolina, I think. And uh, so it was uh, it was not good. So we had to leave, and so they wouldn't serve Curtis. No, they did. They did. They identify. Hey, hey Curtis, you're black. You can't eat here. Or no. what is that conversation like? They said. Uh, are you an American Indian? Curtis was light complected. So Curtis said, no, I'm a Negro. And they said, well, we can't serve you here. So with that, we uh, we walked out. As a team, you walked out. You yeah. got up and walked. That must have meant a lot to Curtis. I don't know. I never talked to him about it, you know. Uh, must have been a shock. I know that. Um, what else? What about when Martin Luther King dies and, and he's shot in Memphis, you're playing in Memphis. That had to be surreal. Yep. Yep. Garbage strikes. Um, everybody in an uproar. Weird time in the country, too. You have assassination. You have Kennedy. You're in high school when Kennedy is shot. Is that right? Yeah, high school. And then, uh, you know, it, 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 it just had to be a, a transformative time for the country. But I can't imagine, like, okay, now you got to play a baseball game amid all of that. Did you guys continue to play, or were there was there a stoppage? No, we we played, no stoppage, and uh, just did it. Another listener wants to know about you. You grew up uh, in the San Jose area playing high school baseball. Dan Pastorini, Jim Plunkett, um, uh, other players. You know, we talked about Bob Barry already. But what was uh, what were the? Did you have any interactions with Plunkett or Pastorini? I think Plunkett was at James Lick High School, and yeah. Pastorini was at Bellarmine. Yeah, uh, Plunkett. Uh, we we played them. Uh, I remember him in a baseball game. We were playing against him. I didn't play my senior year of football in high school because of uh, what the scouts said about uh, not playing. They didn't want me to play because if you blew out a knee or a shoulder, it would yeah. be over. So anyway, um, so Plunkett's uh, hitting. He had a line drive up the middle, and as a shortstop, I knocked it down, and the second baseman uh, got the put out at second. So Plunkett eventually ends up on second base. He looks over at me and smiles. <laughs> he was huge. Yeah. You know, he was, what, 6'3"? Yeah, he's a big guy. 200. Big guy, yeah. yeah. We were like 150, 5'10", <laughs> 5'11". Right. You know, uh, Pastorini, I don't remember. I don't remember playing against him in high school. I don't know if he was later or if we just didn't play Bellarmine. Uh, we got a caller who wants to make an offer here. Mark in Beaverton has called in. Mark, what's on your mind, man? Hey, John. So, Tony, it's a pleasure to get to talk with you. Um, 
Thank you. I wasn't sure whether you would take this or not, but um, I wanted to offer $250 to the Bald Face Truth Foundation if there was any possible way to get some time and play catch with you. You want to play catch? <laughs> Can you still play catch? Oh. At what distance? <laughs> yeah. I got two bad shoulders and okay, a bad so. arm and bad hands. Are, are you, <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, you I was at the I was at the doctor's office today for that. <laughs> so I do the best I can. But. Mark, you come on out to Camp Exceptional. We'll get some gloves. Okay. We'll get, we'll okay, get some okay. gloves. We'll make it happen. Uh, Brent is in Vancouver. Brent has a question. Brent, go ahead. <laughs> hey, John, love your show. Thank you. Question for your dad. Uh, I yeah. turned on, on your show late today, but uh, my parents were back in Norfolk, Virginia. My dad was in the Navy, and they used to go to all the Tide games. When was your dad back there? Uh, 69 through 71. Okay. I'll have to check with him because uh, this is kind of <laughs> exciting to, to hear yeah. that they might have been connected to you somehow. So, yeah. Uh, they, great uh, show today. You Love know, hearing your stories. Uh, uh, Portsmouth had an old stadium that we played in in 69. Then they built a new stadium in uh, Norfolk. And uh, okay, uh, so it was like a brand new, beautiful stadium. And, uh, you know, I was in the mortgage business later on, and I had some guy come in from the bank, and he was soliciting us, and he told me uh, he was from uh, Norfolk, and they just built a new stadium. <laughs> I said, why did they do that? They just built a new stadium. He said, when? I said, in 1970. <laughs> so it was like 40, 50 years later. Uh, appreciate that. Thank you for the call. Appreciate that. It's interesting, too, because you think about, like, you know, what, what did you guys do all day? If you had a game at night, what did you do all day? Well, for, uh, you know, those southern uh, cities were really hot and muggy. So you try to rest up. Um, once in a while, the wife wants to go out shopping, and you try to do it, but it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> you, you get really tired, so yeah. you're just resting. Sitting around day. all day. Yeah, it's pretty boring. Sitting around all day. All right, I, I got to ask you about Wilbur Huckle coming up, mm. the legend of Wilbur Huckle next. <laughs> Leave it right here. <laughs> Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Got my dad in studio, Tony Canzano, former minor league baseball player, professional baseball player in the Mets and the Expos organization. I want to ask you, Dad, we, uh, Wilbur Huckle. Where did you in first encounter Wilbur Huckle in the minor leagues? Wilbur is in spring training and... Uh, he was the type of guy that, uh, you know, he had red hair and freckles, stocky build, and tons of energy. He would uh, ride his bike to, to the spring training camp from the motel. He would uh, go fishing before the uh, spring training started, and he'd go fishing afterwards. So um, he was a, a very interesting guy. He uh, was a legend there in the Mets organization. He um, eventually ended up uh, managing in the minor leagues after he was uh, done playing. But uh, Wilbur was very special. He, uh, during, uh, during road trips, he'd want to wake up early, get you up. We were roommates, and he'd uh, 
want to walk around town. And he'd walk for miles. So So you're talking about resting up for the game. Uh, he'd want to walk around. Now, was there some discrepancy over his age, his birth certificate? How old was Wilbur Huckle? Um, nobody really knew. At least the players didn't know. I thought he was uh, our age, but it turns out he was about five years older. So when he was in AAA, he was about 30 at the, uh, at the end. Yeah. There. But in and in, in there's he even was there a campaign where he the Mets kind of pushed him up like as a joke Wilbur Huckle for president in the '60s or what was that? Well, uh, he was a top prospect when he first signed, and that was in the early '60s, probably probably '63 or so, and they came out with a, a campaign button, the, the Metropolitan Party, Wilbur Huckle for president, and. Uh, so uh, uh, I ended up getting that uh, button on eBay, which I've got it hung up in my office. Oh, I love that. So, uh, yeah, he was a very special guy. Uh, you, you probably had uh, a ton of other encounters. Um, you know, Gil Hodges. Um, and who else did you come in contact with in, in the minor leagues? Well, Hodges, um, you know, while we were there, had a heart attack. Mm. And I don't know if he died or if he was just disabled, but I didn't uh, really have too much uh, contact with him. Duke Schneider? Oh, Duke Schneider. Duke Schneider was great. He, uh, he was about 46 to 50 years old, and he was a better hitter than anybody on our team. He would just pump balls over the right field fence regularly no problem was it was he the manager or was he the hitting coach or what was he he was the manager that so was in 66 so he's in his mid to late 40s you guys are what in your early 20s yeah <laughs> and there and gil hodges is jumping in for batting practice or i mean excuse me duke schneider's jumping in for batting practice yeah and then they had a um uh, old timers game in eugene yeah and uh he hit uh, about three home runs in that game, <laughs> you know, and, and us guys in the dugout are just in awe, right? You know, so <laughs> pretty special. Yeah. All right. Thank you for coming on, giving us uh, some of your time. I appreciate it, Dad. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Um, he's gonna take his headset off now. Uh, coming up, we'll play punch it audio. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Now I know the listeners are gonna want more of you. All right, now that you know, he's walking out of the studio, but uh, we'll, we'll get that. Anna's coming up later in the show as well. You got the Bald Face Truth statewide. Leave it right here on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. More ahead. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.